Specialty Story, session number 20. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your career. Welcome back or welcome to the Specialty Stories Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and today we have a brain surgeon, a full-out brain surgeon talking about neurosurgery. We have Dr. Stephen Grupke, somebody who I went to medical school with at New York Medical College, who is now an attending physician at the University of Kentucky as a newly minted neurosurgeon. So let's go ahead and dive right in and say hi to Steve. My name is Steve Grupke. I'm a, uh, a neurosurgeon. I'm in a uh, academic facility. I'm, I'm new faculty. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Kentucky. All right. And, um, he, Oh, go ahead. Oh, shoot. Already awkward. Go ahead. Um, no, why don't you go ahead? You're good. All right. Start, start this off. All right. I, I won't hold the fact that you're at, at Kentucky against you since I am a Gator. So we'll, oh, we'll, we'll let blue. that, we'll let that one go. How long have you been practicing now as an attending? Uh, just a year. So. I'm kind of fresh out of residency, although I'm, that means I graduated med school a long, long time ago because our <laughs> residency is kind of long and grueling. Yeah, we'll, we'll dive into that. When did you know that you wanted to be a neurosurgeon? Um, well, so I was in grad school, actually, and uh, I, I, uh, I was a chemistry major in undergrad, and, and I uh, went was working in a lab in grad school, kind of thought I, I, I might have a future in kind of benchtop science. And a, uh, a neurosurgery resident, uh, Mark Horniak, he was sort of a mid-level resident at the time, uh, up at New York Medical College, uh, was, in his, was in a year of his residency where they allowed him to, um, I guess, take some time off from his clinical duties to do a lab rotation and get some research under his belt. And... Uh, he met me and took me under his wing and we were doing, you know, experiments, um, in mouse brain tissue doing slice prep. And, um, you know, he was telling me about all of his adventures on, you know, in residency and things. And, you know, he took me with him to his grand rounds and showed me you know, videotapes. And this is in the long, long ago, I'm kind of dating myself, but they actually, you know, kind of videotaped, uh, some of their surgeries through their microscope and, and he'd put together these films for their, for their grand rounds every week and was showing me all this stuff. And I just thought it was amazing, you know, to be able to do this kind of stuff for people and kind of the interventions that they had. So I, uh, I thought that was awesome and was, and was taken by it right there. I kind of always thought, you know, medical school would be a cool thing to do, but it was sort of an abstraction, you know, up to that point. Cause you know, you kind of have an idea as to what a doctor does and it's kind of a thing that's, you know, in the back of your mind, if you're a kid that makes good grades and, and enjoys science. But, you know, that was the first time I saw, you know, man, this is what, this is what doctors do. This is what neurosurgeons do. This is awesome. I would love to do this. So. Interesting. So it was the, it was the introduction to neurosurgery that prompted the, the thoughts about medical school. Yeah, essentially. I mean, I kind of, I thought that might be what I would do after grad school, um, you know, med school in general, but I sort of was directionless and didn't, you know, didn't really, you know, didn't really have, uh, you know, any sort of specialty that I, that I liked, but, uh, you know, that kind of sold me on the whole, you know, doctordom and, and, and everything from the future there that, uh, that was sort of my, my first real introduction other than a couple of little kind of, uh, you know, short little stints, but, you know, shadowing a couple of times in the ER and things like that. But, you know, that was, that was the first time I was actually just totally grabbed and, and engaged. Hmm. Very cool. What, what traits do you think lead to being a good neurosurgeon? Um, so I think a real key one to have and that you may not kind of think of going into it is stamina. And that's, um, uh, you know, I think, you know, people think of, you know, physically because you may be in a very long case, you may be, you know, standing in the operating room wearing wearing heavy lead and doing this great big spine surgery that takes hours and hours, or you might be under the microscope, you know, 
you know, taking out a brain tumor for hours and hours, and that can be very kind of physically and mentally taxing. But the, you know, the other, the other issue with stamina is, you know, it's very kind of mentally taxing to, you know, have a long clinic where you have a lot of people with a lot of varied problems and to try to think every one of them through and try to, you know, give a genuine concerted effort to every single person and everybody's very different pathology. Um, and the other thing is emotionally, you know, you, the level of acuity and what we see is, is, uh, is pretty profound. And so, you know, you can have, you know, a lot of highs and a lot of lows all in one day, you know, um, you know, we can see some pretty horrible things. We see, you know, abused children that come in with, with brain traumas and, you know, some, you know, terrible traumas and, you know, people that are newly diagnosed with brain tumors. And these are all really, uh, really terrible. And you're there, um, you know, kind of relaying this information to a family and trying to do that. And then, and, and then on the same note, you, you know, you can bring somebody from the brink of death with an operation. You can, you know, give somebody function back with, with a simple spine surgery that lets them, you know, live without pain. There's, you know, there's a lot of kind of emotional highs and lows and, and to just deal with that day in and day out, it's kind of tough. Yeah, I bet. That's uh, something I know back, back in the episode where I talked to Allison in neurology, it's a very common thing, obviously, and at neurology, neurosurgery, dealing with a lot of the same uh, crossover oh, yeah. of patients. And it's just a lot of bad stuff that doesn't really get better sometimes. For sure, and you know, there's a lot of overlap with neurology too. We work, we work very closely. But, but like I said, you know, there's there's also you know real highs that come in between that, and and it's it's being able to you know kind of focus on that and and move on to the the next thing and do as best as you can for every single person that comes through your door that you know and and you know keep pushing and you know kind of not let that wear you down over time. That's where the I guess the stamina thing comes in. What's the longest case you've been in? Um, let's see. Well, uh, I've been in a brain tumor case that, uh, as a resident that went, uh, 14 hours, uh, you know, and that, that's one case. Then, you know, we've had spine operations that end up being broken up into a couple of days, you know, a long complex scoliosis case that it's multiple levels and things like that, 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 you know, in and of itself, it's, you know, if you combine all the cumulative uh, time over the course of a couple of days, it, they've been longer. But yeah, I think fourteen hours in one go was was the longest for me. Wow. As as you progressed through your medical school training, were there any other specialties that kind of crept in and were in the running uh, besides neurosurgery? Oh yeah, for sure. So neurology, for obvious reasons, um, you know, we share a lot of pathology. Um, it's it's also very cerebral and thinky and it's focused on the central nervous system. And I love the, you know, having to be a, an astute diagnostician and, um, you know, uh, every, everything that that entails. I, I liked, you know, having to think of esoteric, uh, pathologies that, you know, that, uh, to try to figure out. Um, and the other thing that may not be quite so obvious and a lot of people think is a kind of a polar ob uh, opposite to uh, neurosurgery is, uh, was internal medicine. So I, I did my internal medicine sub I, you know, in July of my third year and I, I really, really liked it. Um, and you know, I think it shares a lot of things with neurosurgery, um, you know, notably, um, just the complexity of the, of the, and the diversity of the kind of cases you see. There's, you know, there's a big case mix. Um, there's a lot of, um, uh, a lot of detective work involved. You see a lot of, uh, you know, different specialties. Um, you know, in neurosurgery, you know, one of the things that, that really drew me to it was, uh, you know, it, you, you have to know a lot of varied information about a lot of different specialties. You have to know, you know, endocrinology for pituitary tumors or traumatic brain injury patients that get SIADH or cerebral salt wasting, or, um, you know, you have to be kind of, uh, adept at you know critical care uh management you have to know uh you know so many other specialties you need to know uh you know kind of fluid and electrolyte you know maintenance and things along these lines it, it, there's there's just so much uh intermingling of other other subspecialties because the brain is so kind of uh you know intimately involved in every other every other system of the body so that, that was one thing i liked of uh of my rotation in internal medicine was this this huge diversity of 
of patients and cases, and it, it it kept it kind of academically interesting over the you know over the course of a day. What what all you saw? Hmm. What types of patients do you typically treat? What are you what are you seeing? What kind of pathology? So that's the other thing. Like I I, I see all sorts of pathology now now um, in my practice. I try to focus, you know, on cerebrovascular neurosurgery. So things like patients with aneurysms or arteriovenous malformations or, you know, things along these lines. But that being said, when you're on call, you have to be willing to take whatever, whatever is, is thrown at you. And, you know, I, I've treated everybody from premature babies all the way up to the very elderly, um, people from all different socioeconomic classes, um, you know, all, you know, all kinds of pathology, be it, you know, Taking out a uh, a tumor on a peripheral nerve to you know to doing you know spine surgery to taking out tumors in the spine or brain um, you know uh, doing a, an open surgery to clip an aneurysm to doing endovascular surgery to you know uh, to treat cerebrovascular pathology you know so uh, it's pretty pretty varied and, and it, it keeps things interesting. Describe a typical day for you as an academic neurosurgeon. Okay. So I usually get into the office about 6 o'clock in the morning, and it gives me, it gives me some breathing room to kind of cursorily go over uh, some of the labs and, and, and images of the patients from the day before. And I'll usually get up with one of my residents, you know, 6.30, 6.45, around on my floor patients. And then depending on the day, then it's, then it's kind of different. So um, one day a week I'll have clinic and clinic starts at about eight o'clock and that lasts until you know probably about five o'clock and it's seeing a combination of new patients and my um, my operative follow-ups and things along those lines uh, a couple of days a week I'll be in the operating room so these are these are patients that I've booked collectively or that I'm taking care of that were you know have been admitted on the floor from the from the emergency room and then a couple of days a week uh, I'm in the endovascular suite so I'll do um, uh, you know, things like diagnostic cerebral angiograms or, um, you know, treat things like aneurysms by doing coilings or, you know, stentings and treat, um, you know, carotid stenosis with angioplasty and stenting, treat arteriovenous malformations with, uh, with, with the sort of glue embolization. Um, and this is something, you know, being one year out of res- residency, I'm sort of in the middle of, uh, what's essentially an infolded fellowship, I did, uh, you know, several hundred cases as a resident, and sort of a, a uh, sort of an enriched curriculum to uh, uh, that that focuses essentially on endovascular treatment of, of cerebrovascular disease. And now I'm doing another year under the under the tutelage of uh, uh, of a couple of the guys here at the University of Kentucky, Dr. Justin Fraser and uh, Dr. Abdul Nasser Al Hajri, that are that are um, kind of being my mentors and teaching me through this, so that I can get of a certification um, as a sort of a new thing in uh, cerebrovascular uh, intervention that, you know, uh, some other specialties are actually getting in on things like interventional radiology and neurology, um, kind of doing these fellowships so that they can become adept at, at this sort of intervention. But I, I, I essentially do that for two days a week. Yeah, it sounds like... I remember a couple of weeks ago speaking with the interventional radiologist. It sounds like they do a lot of similar things. Do you? And, and he he talked a lot about kind of the turf war over these procedures. Yeah. Do you see a similar kind of turf war going on? Luckily, not at you know my institution. Well, you know, one of my mentors is uh, is a radiologist. He's an interventional radiologist, and, and he's amazing. Um, you know, and and. You know, he, you know, he's been teaching me for the year, and so you know, he's he's grooming me to be, you know, a partner in this in this practice. So there's no there's no ill will there, no fighting over it. That being said, I think just in general in the industry, I think um, there is a little bit of protecting your turf from, say, cardiologists or outside, you know, other subspecialties that are that are trying to get in on it. And um, you know, I, there's sort of a move. In uh, uh, sort of interventional uh, surgery, to try to standardize what a uh, what a fellowship is, uh, in order to kind of make sure that everybody from all these different specialties, it, when they come out, when they're when they're doing these procedures, that when a hospital hires one of these these folks, that they're getting 
a comparable product essentially um you know uh, i think across the industry there's there's a little bit of you know kind of turf wars and and, and wanting to protect uh your dominion i guess that's natural but uh luckily i haven't encountered that in practice yeah good do you have to take a lot of call in your program um right now no because there's you know starting in july there's going to be eight attendings um, and we'll split up primary neurosurgery call, uh, you know, uh, amongst amongst us. So it's not bad at all. Now, uh, as far as interventional call, um, I'll take essentially one third of the call, and we do a week at a time. Um, though that is much less rigorous than primary neurosurgery call. So we, you know, the things we'd end up having to come in for would be an acute aneurysm rupture that needs to be treated endovascularly, or uh, or a stroke. You know, uh, thrombectomy for stroke has really taken off since. You know, February 2015, when a bunch of studies came out that showed that it's a really efficacious intervention, and because of that, there's it's really opened the door for a lot of people that may not have been candidates in the past to uh, to have a mechanical thrombectomy. And for that, you know, we end up getting called in in the middle of the night a lot. Uh, we're a comprehensive stroke center, so that uh, we've we've always got somebody on call that can that can do that, which is nice. Um, but that being said, that call, you know, it's for a week at a time, and we're uh, you know, we're not getting called in every single night by any, cha- by any, you know, by any stretch. But um, my, you know, primary neurosurgery call is, you know, every six or seven nights, and uh, and that's, uh, you know, that's totally manageable and doable. Yeah. It was, it's, it's much better. I mean, I'm I'm fresh out of residency, but we're doing it every three, you know, or so. So it's a lot better. It's a lot better than that was. Yeah, <laughs> it's a brand new life for you. Oh, it's wonderful. When you're seeing patients in clinic, you said you have one day of clinic a week. What percentage mm-hmm. of patients do you typically go on and bring to the operating room or or do procedures on? I'd say it's a very small percentage. I mean, there's some people that are kind of teed up to to come in. You know, I, you know, we get people that are sent to me from, um, you know, pain clinics and anesthesiologists that are that are there to have you know, uh, things like interventional pain procedures done, like have a dorsal column stimulator placed or a, a um, uh, an intrathecal, you know, uh, analgesic pump placed or something like that. And these are people that are coming and they're, they've kind of already been worked up and they're coming and they know they're getting a surgery. And, and you know, those people are definitely going to the OR. But, it, it, you know, if, if I look at 10 people I see for back pain, for instance, which is a very common thing that, uh, primary care doctors send folks to a to a neurosurgeon or an orthopedic surgeon for, um, you know, probably, uh, you know, one tenth of them or or less is going to be something that's worth going to the operating room, and that's going to be after trying conservative management first, and, you know, physical therapy and you know, eat rest ice, you know, <laughs> these sort of mm-hmm. uh, conservative managements, um, you know. Uh, you know, probably all in all, if you take my entire case mix, you know, maybe, you know, 20% of the people will be, will, will end up going to surgery and the rest will, you know, I'll counsel as well as I can with regard to their pathology. And, and, you know, some of these are folks that I'll follow longitudinally for a small incidental lesion that, you know, we'll watch and see how it goes. You know, a, a small aneurysm, I'll, you know, that's, that's worth watching and making sure it doesn't, it doesn't change or develop high grade features or something like that. But, um, you know, for, you know, for the most case, most people, you know, we try to, we try to be conservative with. Do you feel like you have decent work-life balance as a neurosurgeon? Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think any neurosurgeon <laughs> does, uh, you know, we kind of have a, a, um, uh, kind of the, uh, the workaholic stereotype and, and i think that's true you know uh to an extent i do i, I have a, a nasty habit of bringing work home with me um kind of perseverating over things i did or didn't do and uh you know you know i have three small children uh and uh i i am happy that i get to spend a lot of time with them i have a program that does sort of emphasize um you know having a good um you know, homework balance. Uh, I have a chairman that's really uh, wants to make sure we're happy at work, and so a big part of that is, is making sure you have a good balance in life. Um, that being said, you know there are a lot of nights where I'm, you know, d- you know, 
signing notes or you know reading about the upcoming cases or writing papers or trying to do something like that at home. And, uh, there's, I don't know, I, you know, one thing I do wish is that, that I was, I guess, around for some more of the things that the, that the kids do. They're, they're getting to the age where, you know, they're having more and more sporting events and issues with their school and parent teacher conferences. And, uh, my wife ends up bearing the brunt of a lot of that stuff. Um, but, uh, I, you know, making a point to take time out of your day and do as much of that as you can, uh, and, you know, be there for family dinners and kind of making it a real point, you know, when you're tired is, is you know, is, is, is how I handle that as best as humanly possible. Describe your, your thought process on working in an academic center, finishing your residency and deciding to stay on an academic center versus finding a community hospital. Well, one of the biggest benefits is that I'm surrounded by a great group of residents. And these are people that, you know, I know and I trust and I think they're super bright and I get to play a part in teaching them and helping them to become kind of the next generation of neurosurgeons and and kind of walking them through, you know, the same steps that my predecessors did for me. And, you know, I think that's huge. I owe all the people that taught me, um, you know, a debt of gratitude uh and that's that's something that that's very very important to me it'll always be very important to me and to play that role in the lives of the upcoming residents you know means a great deal to me the other thing is being in an academic center it puts me at kind of the forefront of you know what's going on academically in neurosurgery which is kind of a wide open field and and um like Dr. Gray mentioned before on the uh, on the neurology podcast, there's so much that's not known about the brain, and there's so much research going on that it's really exciting to be kind of uh, on the forefront of that and seeing that happen in real time. You know, we get to a lot of these interventions before the you know the community uh, gets to them because we're involved in the in the big uh, multi institutional uh, sort of research projects, um, and we get to see a lot of of unusual pathology that gets sent to us because it's something that, you know, is, is typically only dealt with in a place like a big university that has the resources and has, you know, things like, you know, uh, uh, intensivists and pediatric ICU or, or you know, these other, these other, uh, uh, these other resources that help us deal with, um, uh, kind of unusual pathology sometimes that, uh, you know, it, it gives us the opportunity to deal with that. Yeah. Okay. What is uh, what is the path to becoming a neurosurgeon look like? What does residency and, and the rest look like? You know, that can be really varied for, you know, you know one residency to another. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of wiggle room. You know, essentially, the ACGME says you have to get, you know, a certain number of these different categories of procedures under your belt while you're a resident and you have to do so much time in an ICU, et cetera. But essentially for me, it was, you know, we graduated from medical school. I spent a year doing a, uh, uh, an, uh, an internship where it's, it was half, uh, sort of general surgery subspecialties and half, uh, neurosurgery and neurology. Uh, I think nowadays it's uh, a little bit more focused on neurosurgery and neurointensive care, and then it was six years of neurosurgery residency. As a junior resident, I did a lot more of the uh, carrying the call pager, dealing with the ER, seeing new consults, um, helping staff clinics, um, uh, helping take care of patients on the floor and the inpatients. And then, as my, you know, as I, uh, you know, went on experience, spent more and more time in the operating room, spent more and more time kind of doing academic stuff. Got to spend a little bit of time in the lab. Got to. Um, uh, got to kind of, um, as I sort of alluded to before, mold my curriculum so I could enrich myself in certain subspecialties uh, once I had kind of met my uh, prerequisites in others, you know, so I could try to uh, try to subspecialize a little bit, you know. Uh, and as we got on towards uh, fifth, sixth, seventh year, we took on more, more of an administrative role as well. We, we worked with, you know, scheduling where all the junior residents are going to be and, and, you know, while also juggling, you know, taking care of the operating rooms and, and being the chief on call and, 
helping the junior residents while they're on the floor, you know, whether it's guiding them with advice, walking them through floor procedures like placing ventriculostomies and lumbar drains and, and things along those lines and, and just basically being a resource for the for the for the younger guys. And then and then it was graduating, which was glorious. <laughs> yeah. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. So oh, yeah. seven years total, that's pretty standard for all neurosurgery, correct? It, it is, it is. Uh, you know, there are some, you know, there are some places that allow for infolded fellowships. There are some people that end up doing, you know, one or two years in, in a subspecialty afterwards to, you know, to even further subspecialize. Mm-hmm. Um, these are these are all optional, but you know, the typical base residency seven years. Okay. Is neurosurgery competitive to match into? Uh, it is. Um, I, I don't know the exact numbers or anything, but I, I imagine it's getting more and more competitive. I, I, I've met some really, really smart, capable, qualified folks over the last couple of years that unfortunately ended up, uh, you know, in the scramble. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know where we compare compared to some of the other, you know, surgical subspecialties or dermatology or some of the other uh, very sought after subspecialties. I think part of it, you know, maybe because there aren't a, a whole lot of spots um, and there's, you know, a lot of very, very smart, capable, qualified applicants. So is that what you think? Do you think it's uh, more just a, a supply issue and and not necessarily demand? Because it would seem from what you're describing and, and kind of obviously what I've heard through the grapevines is neurosurgery is hard. Seven-year residency, the lifestyle is not the best compared to some other ones out there, but the demand is still there. So is it really just there's just not a lot of programs? Um, well, I, like I said, I think it's, it, you know, it's a little column A, it's a little column B. You know, I, I think despite the fact that it's uh, very, you know, uh, rigorous and, and it's a tough, it's a tough lifestyle and it's a, it's a tough residency. I think, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there that, that are up to meet that challenge and take that as a challenge and, and, uh, and, you know, want to face it head on. And I, I applaud them for that. These, you know, there's a lot of great applicants. And, and, and the other thing is there's, there are a lot of other residencies out there that are, that are very, very hard general surgery, orthopedic surgery, plastic surgery, cardiothoracic surgery. These are all, you know, these are all really tough. I, I apologize if I, if I left out any of the listeners <laughs> chosen, uh, <laughs> chosen subspecialties. There's a lot out there that are, that have tough lifestyles that have, you know, great, super smart med students that want to, want to go into them. And, and that, you know, that speaks good things for the future of, of medicine here, but, uh, but it does make it tough and it, it you know, it makes it kind of nerve racking come uh, match time. So, yeah. What do you think makes a competitive applicant for neurosurgery? So, I don't know, everybody probably tells you, um, <laughs> good board scores, you know, board, board, <laughs> board scores, good grades, but, you know, and that's like, that, that's like, duh, um, <laughs> you know, as somebody that's as a chief resident and as a, as a new attending who's been on the, you know, the committees to, to kind of go over all the applicants. Um, I think, you know, when I'm looking through these, uh, through these applications, everybody that ends up getting their folder to, to my table has good board scores and good grades. And, and, and when it comes to, you know, uh, 10 or 15 points on the USMLEs, you know, that's not what seals it for you. I think it's, you know, uh, at the, at the interview showing that you're a reasonable person. I, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, uh, you know, very, very smart people that are, that also, you know, maybe very aggressive and may make for kind of a hostile work environment. If, <laughs> it, it, you know, you want a good, you know, esprit de corps, you want, you want everybody to, to get along. That makes life nice. I, you know, our resident group is, uh, you know, gets along with everybody and goes to each other's kids' birthday parties and stuff. And, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's really pleasant and that makes for, yeah, for a much more, pleasant work environment and and kind of our match system is, is difficult because we interview fo- folks for a day and you know it's like speed dating for somebody that you're going to marry we're 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 stuck with each other for seven years you know <laughs> if we if we if we pick each other we want to put our best face forward and you know not uh kind of sugarcoat things we want you to see who we are and we want to see who you are and you know if we can get the sense that that you'll get along well with everybody and, and you'll play nice. And the, and one of the best ways of doing that is if you're 
interested in going to a particular place is to do a sub internship there, or, or you know whether whether it's a month through your medical school or just a week, or you know go back for a second look after you've done your interview, just you know to spend some time with them because that's the other thing. Any any residency program can really put on a good face for uh, for a day, you know, especially when none of the attendings are scheduling cases and they <laughs> and we've got free food for conference and all this other stuff. It makes for really a, a really nice time, but to see how everybody is, you know, on a day to day basis and, and how everybody gets along and 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 what that kind of uh, interaction is like is important, and it's nice for us to be able to see that out of the applicant. I mean, that, it make, what makes a nice applicant is is you know you being us trusting that you know we can get along with you. I think that's a big important part. Yeah, that's good. Do you since you are looking through these applications, uh, what are your observations as far as any sort of negative bias towards DOs for neurosurgery? Um, you know, I, I don't know a lot of uh, uh, DO neurosurgeons, unfortunately, and it may just be because I'm kind of a novice and, you know, haven't been out, you know, in the academic world for a long time. And I, you know, I went to an allopathic school and, uh, you know, went to a through residency at an allopathic program, but, uh, you know, I, I can't really say anything on that. I don't have a lot of experience with, 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 uh, uh, neurosurgeon DOs. I know there are some, uh, kind of designated DO neurosurgery programs, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't know enough about them to speak on them, unfortunately. Sorry. Okay. No, that's fine. You mentioned some subspecializing earlier. What opportunities are there for, somebody seven years out of residency or after seven years in residency that is crazy enough for, to want to do more training, what, what options are available for them? Sure. So there's, there are a lot of options for you. So, um, pediatric neurosurgery is a kind of a recognized, uh, subspecialty with its own, with its own board exam. Um, uh, like I mentioned for me, um, cerebrovascular neurosurgery, um, whether it's open or endovascular, there's there's something out there now called the CAS system, or you know, Certificate of Advanced Surgical Training, where you know you you know you basically do an enriched program where you you meet a certain amount of criteria, do so many cases, uh, and you know to qualify for this, and you you basically get kind of a certification of of uh, you know that you've done something above and beyond, so that you know it can be a feather in your cap, but that can be for spine. Uh, it can be for epilepsy, um, you know, uh, peripheral nerve. There, there's a lot of different uh, kind of subspecialties in neurosurgery if you wanted to really focus in. To be able to do that, it, it's nice to be in an academic center where you've got other folks that kind of can cover the rest of the uh, the rest of the subspecialties. You know, uh, um, uh, functional neurosurgery, things like deep brain stimulation. You know, it's it's nice to. Uh, you know, have somebody that can do that and provide that service. And, you know, well, if you want to subspecialize in something else, you know, it's, you know, we have, we have a good complement of, of, of attendings in our group. And so, uh, you know, that makes it kind of nice. Okay. What, what do you wish that primary care providers knew about neurosurgery and what you do day to day? to make your job easier so that you can do better for their patients? Hmm. I don't know. I, you know, we have a pretty good relationship with a lot of the, the uh, primary care providers sort of in our area and, and they know we're there to help. I think, you know, the, the important thing is for them to know that we're there and that we're available to help with, with things, even things that may not be necessarily totally, you know, surgical, you know, a big, you know, a lion's share of the stuff that, primary care uh, doctors send us is things like back pain, neck pain. Um, and, and sometimes these are things that are much better dealt with, with, you know, physical therapy or, you know, a, a physiatrist. Um, but, you know, it, we're always there to kind of help weigh in on this. You know, they get an MRI on these folks and, you know, it, it's read as, you know, disc bulging and neuroforaminal stenosis, et cetera, et cetera. There's never been an MRI that's ever been read <laughs> as, as perfectly normal. And it's hard to make heads or tails of, you know, whether one of these is surgical and one of these isn't. And, and uh, you know, I'm more than happy to go over that in my office with the patient and show them their pictures and let them understand what's going on. 
you know, it, I think it helps and it makes people feel that they're being, um, you know, carefully looked at and, and, you know, not just saying, you know, you don't need an operation, you know, get out of here or, you know, or explaining to them what something, you know, what something means. If, uh, if they incidentally discover, you know, a small cerebral aneurysm, ha- you know, we're here, have them come to our office. I'm available to talk with them about that. I'll show them pictures. I'll show them their, their CTA and kind of go over what it means and what the risk factors are and what the, you know, percentages of having a problem related to it are. And, you know, that kind of knowledge, putting somebody's mind at ease, a lot of times is, is really all they're looking for. So we're here to help, uh, you know, and, and, you know, like I said, we deal with a, with a pretty broad variety of, of, uh, neurological issues if there's something better served by a neurologist i'm more than happy to get my neurology uh, colleagues involved and we can you know, have a multidisciplinary approach at things so feel free to call us <laughs> you mentioned neurology what other specialties do you work closest with um i work a lot with um oncology you know so we see tumors in the spinal cord and uh and in the brain and in the peripheral nerves um uh, I work a lot with uh, physical medicine and rehabilitation as, uh, you know, a lot of people that come to us with issues of, you know, whether it's brain pathology, they've had a big stroke and, you know, now they're working on, you know, getting their strength and becoming functional and becoming independent or ambulatory, you know, working closely with, with those groups. You know, we have a you know, great group of, uh, of rehab doctors that, that uh, help our patients immensely. Um, you know, we work with the hospitalists. We work with, uh, we work with the ED. Um, you know, uh, we work with you know vascular surgeons. Um, uh, some of our some of our our territories overlap as far as you know uh, uh, carotid artery pathology and things like that. And and so you know we share some some real estate and and. It's uh, it's nice to have a you know a different set of eyes to help weigh in on some some of the issues we have. Um, I don't know uh, uh, trauma surgeons a lot. You know we a lot of the patients they see have brain and spine trauma, um, and so we we work you know very closely with them. Uh, like I said, neurologists are one of the one of our our, our closer colleagues. They uh, you know between you know we share a lot of. Uh, management on on stroke patients but also things like epilepsy we're there to you know we can do you know lesionectomies or temporal lobectomies um you know they do they help us with emgs and and things along those lines when we're trying to you know elucidate a you know some sort of you know peripheral pathology so we you know we end up being kind of closely involved with a lot of different uh departments like i think i mentioned before uh, endocrinology so you know, for our cushing's patients and you know pituitary tumors and uh, things along those lines, you know. So, a little bit uh, everybody. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out again <laughs> because it's getting late and that's all right. You know, uh, but uh, uh, if I did, I apologize. But you said I'm deeply indebted to all these fine folks that 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 help us take care of people. Very politically correct. <laughs> no, no, no. Seriously, no. I, I really. It's a. I, I, I'm in. A, pretty pleasant place to work where, every, yeah. where people get along it's nice that's awesome what uh, are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for neurosurgeons oh yeah you can run for president <laughs> uh, uh, you could be a, a, a correspondent for cnn or uh i don't know there's a <laughs> there's a uh, I think people think uh, brain surgeons are good at stuff other than brain surgery so <laughs> we, we get away with a lot of stuff i think uh <laughs> Not necessarily true. <laughs> uh, no, uh, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, you know room for us to do stuff in you know in academics, in research, and in, in you know in the lab. We can help take things from the uh, you know from the benchtop to the bedside. You know we uh, uh, we have access to the you know the patient base with which to do to do that, and so. Uh, that puts us in a kind of a unique situation uh, you know, I, I think some of us, uh, you know, end up doing stuff in administration, but, uh, uh, you know, I think a lot of us are very, you know, clinically and academically busy between, uh, you know, teaching and, uh, and writing and, you know, 
and doing our kind of clinical duties that that tends to, that tends to engulf most of my time. But I think if you if one were so inclined, you you could do you could do pretty much anything. I think. What do you know now that you wish you knew before starting your residency? Hmm. That's uh, that's a good question. I'm trying to punt on that. I'm not. Uh, I don't know. No, I, uh, nothing sticks out. Uh, well, I would reassure myself that I'd still love what I'm doing even after all the grind, you know, there were a lot of times that got kind of tough and, you know, it wears on you. Like I like I mentioned before, you know, physically and mentally during residency, but that the, the, um, the reward of being able to take care of just people in the, in their darkest hour and be there and be that guy and be involved in the most important part of a lot of people's lives, um, is, uh, you know, is, is hugely fulfilling and, and, and great. Um, you know, uh, that, that sounds like the answer to my next question, which is what do you like the most about being a neurosurgeon? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, the previous answer, no, <laughs> uh, it, it, it really is nice. And, um, uh, really it's very academically fulfilling. I'd see a lot of, you know, a, a lot of, uh, uh, different disease processes, um, it, it requires a lot of detective work. It, it, it's, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I get to teach the next generation of neurosurgeons and these are super bright people that you know, are eager and, and just an absolute pleasure to teach. Um, you know, you get to teach these you know, great medical students. You get to you know, be, you know, very involved with patients. You know, we have you know, patients that want to take selfies with you and and that give you hugs and it's a really it's a really good feeling and uh, um, you know uh, there's a lot of folks that get up every day and drag themselves off to work and and you know and then drag themselves home and it's a grind for a paycheck and you know I never feel like that you know I get tired and um, you know things like that but it's still it's still very very rewarding and fulfilling. What do you like the least about being a neurosurgeon? Um, hmm. I, I don't know. Let's see. There are, there's gotta be something. <laughs> there are, you know, bad days, you know, there, there are always bad days and, you know, there's a, you know, there are things like you go to, you know, sometimes you have a clinic and you just have a streak of a lot of patients that you're not able to help or. You know, you think you think you did a case absolutely perfectly, and you did it textbook, and buy the book, and do everything right, and and a patient has a bad outcome, and then that gives you this sort of nihilistic feeling of helplessness. Like, what am I supposed to do? I really had no, you know, <laughs> uh, no recourse or no no way of changing that. And 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 you present you know a case at M and M, and and you still say. You know, if I had a chance to do it again, I'd probably have done it the same way. And and uh, it, and if it turns out poorly, you still you you still just sit there and you think about it, and it can keep you up at night. You know, um, briefly describe M and M for for somebody that doesn't know what M and M is. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, so uh, morbidity and mortality conference is is uh, it, um, it's where you and all of your colleagues sit in a room. And anytime you have a patient that does that has a problem, either dies or has a complication of some sort, whether it be of omission or commission, uh, their case is presented and kind of picked over academically by uh, by your colleagues. Uh, and you and, and you do this kind of systematically in a way to try to prevent errors in the future. Try to see you know where in the where in the care and management of the patient did something break down what could have been done differently how you know does is this something that's going to need a change in protocol in the future etc and you try to come up with a solution you know um you know it's uh you know the idea behind it's great and you know <laughs> they're stressful you should every, <laughs> you should, yeah you should take every mistake as a chance to learn something but it's very very stressful yeah. and nobody likes having 
uh, their <laughs> problems paraded on a you know on a big projector screen in front of a lot of people. But uh, but it's important for uh, uh, you know to make sure that everybody gets treated appropriately in the future, and that yeah. you know uh, it, you know it's important for accountability. It's important for uh, for teaching the residents. It's important for you know. Yeah, a myriad of reasons, but but it's very very stressful, and and uh, uh, and when it's your case, it's it's being presented, it's it's rough on you. Yeah. Do you see any major changes coming to the field of neurosurgery, whether it's through technology or the way things are practiced? Oh sure, I, you know I think there's a lot on the horizon. Um, you know, uh, there's so much that's not known about the brain or the or the central nervous system, you know, that, uh, that leaves a lot open, but I, you know, I think some exciting new things that are going on, uh, things like, uh, neuromodulation. So deep brain stimulation for all sorts of different pathologies right now, it's, you know, commonplace for, for, for Parkinson's disease and tremor and things like that. But it's, um, you know, there's a lot of potential utility for that in the future. Um, uh, some of these uh, implantable devices that help detect seizures and extinguish them before they become a problem. Um, you know, I'm trying to, you know, uh, be as broad and use as, as layperson of speak as possible. But there's there's a lot of interesting technology, you know, on the horizon. There's a lot of a lot of new utility for old technology. Things like vagal nerve stimulators for for um, spasticity and stroke. And there are people that are implanting, you know, stem cells for uh, for stroke and or you know for things like Parkinson's disease or neurodegenerative diseases in general, um, and this this is another way that I think we're going to be um, deeply involved with our neurology uh, colleagues. Is, you know, kind of coming up with ways where uh, we can potentially intervene and and help patients that were once thought to just have you know, progressive neurodegenerative disorders that you know you know uh, have have promising interventions. You know, uh, things like uh, the treatments for traumatic brain and, and traumatic spine injury, you know, um, uh, neural computer interface, to, you know, for moving appendages, you know, they've already got stuff that, you, you know, using EEG waves to move a cursor on the screen, you know, these are kind of rudimentary and, and, and basic, but they, they prove a concept and, and with a little fine tuning, I, you know, I don't, I don't see it being too awful long before it becomes something that where, you know, you're able to, you know, use a, um, uh, an artificial limb to, to perform complicated maneuvers, you know, that, you know, that's, that's very close to being a, you know, a, a thing. So, yeah, uh, it, yeah, we're in, we're in really exciting times. Yeah. It's really cool stuff that's happening. So that's interesting. If you had to do it all over again, would you choose the same residency? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've had a great time. I've met wonderful people that are going to be my friends for a lifetime of, and I had great teachers um, that, like I said, that I, you know, I I greatly owe, and that will always be, you know, kept fondly in my heart. And um, uh, and the the field of neurosurgery itself, it's still it's still what I, you know, you know, was what I keep by my bedside. Is you know, is something to read on. You know, that, that's what interests me. It's you know. Um, even in lay media, you know, it's what I pick up and what I'm, what I'm drawn to. So it's something that I'm still, you know, very, very interested in, still have a fire for, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's been great so far. Good. Any last words of wisdom for a medical student that is staring down the, the gauntlet of seven years of residency and hearing the lifestyle that it's, it's pretty rough, but worthwhile, and is questioning whether or not they want to go down this path. Um, so first is take a, take a good look in yourself and make sure that it's something you want to do, because because uh, if it is, then you should do it. I mean, seriously, it's it's you know I would recommend it to anybody. Like I've said, ad nauseum, it's so rewarding, um, it's so interesting. You know, I. Like I said, I absolutely love it. Um, I think there may be a tendency for some some folks out in the kind of early med school community to want to be a neurosurgeon, but not necessarily do neurosurgery, and and that's kind of the wrong attitude to have. Uh, you know, I think you know 
TV and such may, may glamorize the subspecialty, uh, you know, probably inappropriately and more so than other surgical subspecialties, which require you know, just as much, um, you know, scholastic aptitude and manual dexterity and things like that. So, you know, look inside yourself, make sure this is what you want to do. In medical school, like I said, I gave a real serious thought to other specialties, knowing that, you know, this might make life a lot easier. And in the end, I kept coming back to the neurosurgery books and saying, look, this is what I really like and, and this is what I want to do. Um, that being said, you know, you plan it out and, um, and keep a balance in your life. Go out and get some fresh air and do some recreational activities that you like. Spend time with your family. Um, you know, these are all important things to, to maintain, even if you're, even if you may be tired, you know, it, it may take a little more effort than, uh, than it did before when you were able to, you know, sleep in until your, your, uh, uh, 10 o'clock physiology class or whatever. But, you know, uh, once you, you know, once you do embark on that path, you know, try to keep a balance. And, uh, and I was really lucky that I was able to, you know, get into a program that allowed me to do so. Um, good luck, everybody. You, you guys have chosen a great field, no matter what, especially in medicine you go into. Um, you know, I wish you all the best of luck and, and congrats on getting this far. All right. There you have it. Neurosurgery from an academic neurosurgeon. Neurosurgery is one of those more rigorous paths to becoming an attending and still as an attending, still pretty rigorous. But as Dr. Gruppigi was saying, that there are still a lot of demand and still very competitive to get into it. So if you're interested in neurosurgery, go reach out, go find some programs, go find some mentors. I hope this was helpful for you. If you are looking for a specific specialty that we have not yet covered, I would love for you to let me know, number one. And number two, find me somebody to talk to. That's where... I struggle with the most. So that's what I struggle with the most is finding guests to come on the show. So if you know somebody that would be a great guest for this podcast, let me know. Shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Besides that, I would love for you to leave a rating interview in iTunes. It boosts my ego, but more importantly, it lets other people know that the podcast is helpful. And when they go looking for something, they'll see that it has those five stars there. And uh, they'll take a listen. So hopefully we deserve five stars. I would love for a rating interview. Outside of that, that's all I have. I hope you have a great week and we will see you next time here at the Specialty Stories.